Stat Media Group, delivering logistics news since 1986. Hello everyone, I am Reggie John and this is Logistic Tech Dialogues presented by Kale Logistics Solutions. This is our weekly dialogue on innovations and technologies that make logistics move faster and deliver better. Logistic Tech Dialogues is brought to you in partnership with Kale Logistics Solutions, a trusted global logistic IT solutions provider for several Fortune 500 companies worldwide. Most people take shipping containers for granted. You regularly see them on trucks, rail cars and on ships. You occasionally see them stacked up at seaports and container depots. But it's easy to forget that almost every consumer product we use was probably moved via shipping containers. Perhaps the biggest enabler of globalization has not been a free trade agreement, but the simple invention called the shipping container. However, the prolonged impact of the pandemic and the Suez Canal blockade are disrupting global supply chains like never before. The shipping container that has been the building block of global trade growth is turning into the latest source of frustration for importers and exporters around the world. The steel boxes are harder than ever to find as surging demand to restock inventories and a series of shipping disruptions has left many thousands of containers stranded at sea on ships. Many more are stacked up at inland freight hubs in the US, Europe and Asia as companies struggle to cope with the cargo flows. The container dislocation has contributed to skyrocketing freight costs and complicated efforts to meet resurgent consumer demand. My guest today is Christian Roloffs, founder and chief executive officer of Container Exchange. In November 2015, when Christian Roloffs and Jonas Schlingmeier launched their startup container exchange in Hamburg in Germany. They aim to tackle the problem of repositioning empty containers by digitizing the process and allowing for carriers and logistic companies interchange their empty boxes with the aim of cutting operating cost. It is said that every third container being moved is empty. According to estimates, the cost of repositioning empty containers amounts to about 20 billion US dollars per year industry-wide, impacting container carriers, leasing companies, and other logistic companies. Today, Container Exchange is the leading digital marketplace platform for 800 plus shipping companies to lease, rent, sell, and transport empty containers around the world more easily and efficiently. Christian joins me to discuss the growth of Container Exchange since its founding and what value the platform provides to shipping companies in the current crisis of container shortages. Christian, welcome to Logistic Tech Dialogues. Thanks for finding time to talk to us. Thanks a lot for, for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Let's start with looking at uh, current uh, circumstances and the entire global freight industry, particularly the sea freight industry, uh, also specifically on the current container shipping market, uh, supply, demand, mismatch, uh, and rapidly increasing freight freight. Uh, what are some of your observations on the current uh, container shipping market? And uh, when do you see some sort of uh, 
stability coming into the market uh, i wish uh, i wish i had a crystal ball uh, i would i would make good, uh, good use of it and good profits of that uh, in these in these times i think um, it's very difficult to predict the future but what we've seen today um really uh, started of course with the uh, the outbreak of of covid um, and the resulting sort of disruptions uh, in the especially container logistics um, supply chain what we saw was that um, on top of uh, the existing sort of structural imbalance of of container flows that have already existed and and that will always exist in the market because of structural imbalances in 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 import export flows you suddenly had very disruptive factors you had um uh, suddenly lack of lack of truck drivers because of lockdowns you had lockdowns of ports uh, and not everywhere at the same time but in very sort of uh, how do you say uh, inconsistent uh, time intervals uh, between uh, between regions and, and and countries globally um you have extensions and prolongations of container turnaround times um of container handling times etc cetera, etc cetera, which just um increased uh, the the need for for available um, container equipment and uh, and and slot uh, capacity for container transports and because that capacity wasn't there or couldn't be couldn't be ramped up that quickly we just have the effect that you see today massive spikes in freight rates non availability of containers uh, essentially the container shipping companies being in a in a very very strong position of power to dictate terms um, introduce new charges uh, on whatever they whatever they want um and uh, and really um taken a big uh, big profitability boost um, out of this situation we see now that uh, companies uh, try to try to deal with this situation by increasing uh, container equipment inventory and also ordering new vessels in order to introduce them uh, into the existing trade lanes but that's of course a process that takes time um, capacity cannot be introduced um, so quickly um, and so we we do expect the situation to to calm down sometime early uh, to mid next year um but very likely not before that and especially now with also peak season coming etc etc christian i think it all started with the with the covid pandemic uh, early last year february march uh, but since then it has been uh, it's been one one reason one cause after another uh, uh, when you look at the current uh, situation uh, also few months back we had the swiss canal uh, uh, blockage uh, can you pinpoint uh, reasons beyond uh, the covid or are we are we like forced to look at all, all this back to covid as a reason for uh, for the current uh, crisis no i think um, i think you're right it's not it's not all just covid uh, but the problem is that covid Uh, almost like exacerbates every little disruption in the supply chain that happens and we've always had uh, disruptions in the supply chain uh, it's nothing new and uh, every industry participant knows that uh, we have to do a lot of uh, firefighting constantly because there's always unforeseen issues and disruptions but having covid around as a sort of an underlying continuous disruption just makes all these smaller disruptions uh, the more the more critical and the more difficult to deal with um and that can be uh, can be factors like suez canal but it's also topics like brexit uh, and sudden um sort of changes in customs clearance processes within europe um that just extend sort of cust- uh, container turnaround times it's also factors like um uh, like strikes uh, of in in the in the ports in the ports and terminals of in the us um that just sort of suddenly again increase uh, uh berthing times uh, increase um handling times of container vessels in in the major north american ports um and all these um congestions uh then then sort of uh, are exacerbated uh, and increased by by the underlying factor of covid which in the end then for us just looks like a perfect storm do you think uh, 
the shipping liners are actually taking certain advantage because uh, when we look at the financial numbers of, I, I looked at the DP world yesterday, uh, the growth rates are uh, phenomenal and uh, it's largely because of the greater yield that they, they have in the last six months. Uh, but you get a sense that the shipping line and shipping industry is also taking full advantage of the current crisis. If by shipping industry, you mean the main liners? The, the liners, um, yeah. And uh, and then yes, absolutely. I think, I think we can't really blame them, right? Because uh, over the last, uh, I don't know, 12, 13, 14 years, uh, especially the shipping liner industry has suffered a lot. A lot of this suffering is, 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 has been inflicted by themselves, but just uh, sort of ordering too much capacity and then and, and, and driving down prices um, by oversupply. Now that they have the chance to recoup some of those losses and, and make some profit, uh, I think we can't really blame them. Let me come to uh, some of the things that I've also been reading about uh, the changes in the consumer habits and during that actually happened during the pandemic. Uh, people are like locked up in homes, working from home. And it had an impact on the shipping and logistic industry. And uh, going through the uh, the DP World press release yesterday on the numbers, uh, something that the DP World chairman actually makes a special reference to the changing habits of uh, the global consumers. Uh, there is a certain amount of uh, resettling of, um, of global supply chains to to closer to where the consuming market is uh, what are some of the things that you are noticing uh, as important trends uh, which are actually affect, affecting container traffic or container uh, shipping industry in the world so i think there's three uh, three trends or three uh, sometimes conflicting worries or or, or shifts uh, before actually covid happened uh, there was a lot of talk about um, uh, in assuring uh, the impact of 3D printing, uh, will we actually need goods from China or uh, will, will sort of new technology make transport and logistics obsolete and sort of drive down, down transport volume? Um, I think that was number one. We don't really see that, um, but we do see um, quite uh, con conversely, we do see um, sort of a split up of supply chains a little bit um, so that not everything is uh, is produced in China anymore, but there's a lot more sort of intra-Asia um, supply chain um, connections that are being uh, being implemented and that actually uh, drive up transportation and logistics needs that hasn't really shown. Then we've seen um, uh, COVID uh, and its uh, and its impact on, uh, on, on, on consumer spending behavior. Uh, suddenly uh, consumers couldn't go out to the cinema anymore, uh, couldn't go out uh, traveling, uh, couldn't spend money on, on experiences. And they started to, uh, to, 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 to spend money on goods. Uh, and uh, most of these goods uh, came from Asia, uh, not just China anymore, but, uh, but all over Asia, um, and had to be transported somehow. And that just drove up the need for, uh, for, for logistic services, uh, be it in air freight or, uh, of course, um, via via the container in, in sea freight. Um, if you look at the numbers, though, this hasn't been a major shift. So I think um, transport growth, uh, so to speak, or demand for, for, for transport growth has been up uh, somewhere between 4 and 6% um, year over year, which is a significant increase, but it's not majorly uh, disruptive, so to speak. Um, now, the third point is how will that then, of course, change uh, change going forward. Uh, will we go back to spending more money on, on experiences uh, and less on goods? What will happen to uh, global supply chains? That's that's going to be going to be a question for the future. And unfortunately, I, I don't have that 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 crystal ball. But um, but I do think that that there will be a, a slight decrease in that demand for 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 transport services, just because we go back to to previous consumer spending patterns. Now, Christian. Um... The quarter four of uh, 
each year is really important. Uh, a lot of the shipping companies or logistic companies make up for what they've lost in the first three quarters in the last quarter because that's the, the peak season. Uh, and we are actually approaching uh, Q4 and uh, you're reading, going through the, the news uh, on the logistic industry. Uh, it's not really looking nice uh, uh, because uh, exporters would probably will uh, will default on, uh, on their export commitment. Uh, they would not have access to capacity, delays and congestions and port of exorbitant freight rate. Uh, what would be happening on the Q4? Uh, are you expecting to have a kind of major disruption uh, leading to chaos in, uh, in, the, in the shipping industry? Um, part yes and part no. So definitely I, will, I expect the, the current situation to become even worse um, over the next two to three months um, into, into peak season uh, because uh, suddenly you, you really have that spike in demand and the shipping industry or the container industry, so to speak, hasn't really figured out the supply problem um, yet, uh, the supply side yet. Uh, so you really still have uh, have those disruptions. Um, you have lack of equipment, you have lack of shipping capacity, slot capacity, et cetera. And that spike in demand will just create a, a big, a big problem there. Um, at the same time, there's also, uh, it's also not sure how, how COVID and related uh, sort of disruptions will play out over the over the coming uh, coming months and uh, maybe you know uh, rising uh, rising um, vaccination rates will actually lead to an uh, to an ease uh, easing up of uh, of those uh, those disruptions we have less uh, less port closures uh, less uh, worry to find uh, to find truckers uh, or um, uh, how do you say that um, uh, people to mend the ships etc uh, etc et um, maybe we also see a uh, an easing up on on that side, which would then ease up the, the situation. But the way it looks now, with uh, with the efficacy of vaccines against uh, against various variants of the the virus, this doesn't really look look very very likely. So all in all, I do expect, or we do expect, some increase in in disruptions, uh, especially over the next couple of months. Now let's talk about the container exchange. Uh, when you went to the market with your SaaS product, uh, did the ocean freight industry take you seriously? That was in 2015, I believe. Yeah, uh, and no, <laughs> we were not taken seriously at all. Um, actually, uh, when we started out, we didn't really start out with a SaaS product. Uh, we started out with a pure uh, marketplace, a visibility product that would allow container owners see or find uh, uh, counterparts with available uh, equipment uh, to be able to then deal with them or, or strike a deal with them and approach them for, for containers. So that marketplace product uh, was, was the start. Um, I think nobody really took us seriously. I think uh, after about three, three years or so of attending uh, trade shows, we had the first customers uh, approach us proactively saying, hey guys, um, I've seen you now for two or three years. So there seems to be something about this. Please, can you tell me uh, what, what you're actually doing? Um, so I think the, the industry is quite quite slow in adapting to, to innovation and adapting to change. Um, but by now, um, and also after introducing a couple of additional features to that very, very simplistic marketplace model, um, more and more uh, customers trust us and, and use Opera. Who was your first customer? The first, uh, the first paying customer was a, a container trader from Germany, actually, who started who started using that against some payment. Um, before that, of course, we uh, because we spun off from uh, from the Boston Consulting Group, we had a couple of beta clients, um, especially large shipping lines who we worked with um, from our consulting days, um, and who just uh, sort of uh, started testing and trialing the product. How is technology changing the container shipping industry? Because technology seems to be the the savior for a lot of the problems that we face in the in the transport and logistics industry. Yeah, true. It's very interesting, actually, right? If you think about the container, um, it has 
It's so simple. It's just a, a steel box, uh, but it has absolutely revolutionized trade, right? It has um, driven down freight costs to a fraction of what it was before. It has massively simplified uh, logistical value chains. It has essentially enabled globalization and, and driven global welfare, lifted hundreds millions, hundred of millions of people out of poverty. So the container itself, that steel box, is a, has an, and is a significant technological leap, uh, maybe like the steam engine or uh, the invention of electricity or something like that. So it's really, really been a massive, massive shift. What hasn't been very innovative is all the related processes around the container, right? How we how we move the container from A to B, how we communicate with our partners, be it the depots, the terminals, the shipping lines, the customs clearance agents, the truckers, everybody around the container who provides um, processes, the communication is just manual and innovation there really means email whatsapp wechat uh, cacao talk uh, whatever region of the world you 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 you're in so um their innovation has really been extremely poor and that leads to the entire industry constantly firefighting and, and solving solving problems unexpected problems in very manual and inefficient ways that's sort of what technology is. Um, and then right now, over the past, uh, I think, five to 10 years, uh, you really see an emergence of innovation in that industry, but mostly focused on the commercial front end, right? You see the uh, photos, you see the flex ports, you see the Insta freights, you see uh, Zeneta, so freight rate benchmarking, et cetera, et cetera, Cargo One on the, on the air freight side. Um, you see a lot of that innovation happening um, to improve the interface between the shipper and the freight forward or the shipping line. So there's been a lot of focus. Um, again, where there hasn't been a lot of focus is an area where we now play in, um, and that's that, that underlying infrastructure of global trade and global container logistics. Um, how is the container actually moved? Um, how do uh, companies communicate with each other? And that fabric hasn't, again, hasn't really seen a lot of innovation. And that's something which, which we now tackle um, and want to make more, more efficient and ideally as efficient as the con container itself. Need for cost savings, visibility, and transparency. These are these are three core elements uh, driving digital transformation in the logistic industry right now. Are these three things that are core to what uh, what you people do at uh, 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 at a container exchange? Uh, yes. Yeah, I think you can you can say so. I think um, underlying our our product um, really are a couple of couple of key factors. One is actually visibility and transparency, like like you mentioned. Another one is is trust. Um, so you need to trust your partners um, in your supply chain, and uh, our product makes it easier to find new partners and trust them uh, more quickly, uh, so to speak. And then uh, then really the last one is, uh, is is efficiency and automation. So you want to make your processes, you want to turn, turn your processes from manual issue resolution and fixing, uh, calling your partners, WhatsApping your partners, uh, emailing your partners. You want to turn these processes into sort of an automated, repeatable engine, um, ideally uh, using API connections between, between systems, um, to, to, to streamline operations. Uh, and I think for us, these are the three, three core factors, uh, visibility, trust, and, and automation. And then uh, ultimately, uh, why do you do that? Um, you want to save costs, you want to be faster, you want to increase your revenues because you, want, you can do more, more business with the same resources um, in order to yeah, gain a competitive advantage. Uh, Christian, what is your business model? Uh, we're essentially a um, SaaS-enabled marketplace, if you want to say so. Um, so our customers, typically freight forwarders, shipping lines, uh, and container owners, purchase a subscription 
for access to our marketplace. It's almost like a SaaS subscription, software as a service subscription um, that you pay per month. Um, then these customers can make use of all the visibility on the marketplace, find available containers for for purchase, um, but also for lease, um, and then do these transactions on the marketplace um, for free. So there's no additional transaction cost. Uh, and then they typically add value-added services onto the, their transaction, uh, be it purchasing an insurance, uh, purchasing uh, premium tracking services, purchasing um, surveying services of the of the container um, to make sure that the container is actually in, a, in the right condition um, when they when they want to provide it to their customer. And then we really manage the entire transaction workflow from pickup of the container, communication with the depots, um, return of the container, billing and invoicing, repair claims management. So the entire entire process then handled through through Exchange. And what is the technology architecture that you have in? Is is that in, built in house? Yes, correct. The majority of our of our technology is built in house. We um, I think it, it would go into too much detail if I if I talk about our, our tech stack, but most of this is is built in house. And then of course we interface with some third party uh, integrations, uh, be it for the for the handling of payments be it for um, some tracking um, services, be it for some insurance and, and, and surveying services, we then essentially plug into um, third-party systems um, or, of course, our client systems um, via EDI, API, ODBC, or other technologies. What is the size of the market you are addressing? Uh, I believe the cost of repositioning of the empty container is not really small, right? Yes, so that was actually our original sort of value proposition also to, to the market that we say we are going to save uh, money on empty repositioning of the container because we want to make the usage of the container more efficient. And that market alone is about 20 billion US dollars in spent, so basically just moving around empty containers. However, by now, um, we really have expanded that that addressable market, um, not only by uh, allowing container purchases and, and, and sales on, on exchange and attaching all these value-added services, but we've really become a fully integrated um, container, neutral container leasing um, platform and trading platform, if you, if you want to say so. Um, in total, we estimate this market for container logistics services um, to be about 180 to 200 billion US dollars. Uh, and how does your online cloud platform work on a real-time basis? Is, is the data that you find is, is how real is the real-time? How real is real-time? That's, that's always uh, depends on, uh, on, the, on the customers, ultimately. So, of course, uh, we also struggle with uh, in, inaccuracy of, uh, of data in, at some, some points, especially when we pull it straight from our customer systems um, via, via integrations. If their data is a little bit outdated, then ultimately uh, our data is also a little bit outdated. Um, but we are getting better and better at, uh, at cleaning this data as well and uh, using past uh, data points um, and you know, machine learning approaches to, to clean this data and say, okay, if our customer actually tells us, A, this means ultimately that we, uh, we, we actually have B um, sort of as a, as a translation. Um, that, that really improves data quality. Um, and then also we interface with more and more uh, partners uh, across the, the value chain to correlate between data points and actually find out what is true uh, or fair and true. Um, and, and, and further improve, uh, improve data quality. And the rates or the price is actually completely determined or decided by the market. Correct. Yes, we are 100% neutral. We never take a position in any trade, uh, be it a leasing or a, or, a, or a trading trade. It's just purely the customers that decide how much do they want to charge for a container? How much do they charge for the rental? How much, uh, how much do, they, uh, do they want to pay for repairs? Uh, so they also 
um, discuss the repair claims uh, online. So all of that is purely in the hands of the customers. And you have both the, the renting, leasing, as well as uh, people can actually buy also the, the old containers as well as uh, the new containers. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. That's correct. We, we started out purely with a leasing marketplace um, with, again, with that original value proposition in mind that there is a lot of unused uh, container equipment capacity um, that's sitting empty at the depots uh, while at the same time, somebody else at the same location urgently needs containers and could just use those on a short-term, one-trip basis. Um, that was the original value proposition. That was the leasing marketplace. And since then, the leasing marketplace has grown to, to, to really become a distribution channel of container leasing companies, container traders, and other container owners. And then what happened was, and that's actually where most of the innovation also on exchange comes from, our clients approached us and said, I have these containers there. I cannot find somebody to lease them out, or I actually want to get rid of that equipment capacity because I don't want it back. I don't need it anymore. My business model has changed. Can I just flag these units for resale and also offer them for, for trading? And we said, yeah, sure. <laughs> let's, uh, let's, let's, let's see whether that works. We built an, an MVP, a minimum viable product around it um, and, and tested this marketplace. And there was demand. So we really built a second product around it. These are both old as well as new containers. Correct. Yeah. Originally, it was only secondhand uh, containers. But then more and more customers basically said, hey, I, I also have uh, new built containers in, in Shanghai or in Ningbo or Qingdao. Um, can I also put these on the platform and flag them for, for sale. And in the end, a box is a box. Uh, since since 60 years, that has been the concept. And uh, whether you want to sell it new or used, it uh, doesn't matter. So you provide the platform only for those owners of the containers to, to have them listed on your platform. It's not that you take the ownership of the inventory. Correct. Yeah, we, we never take ownership of inventory. We are never taking a position in any trade. Quite the opposite of, uh, of how some other container trading platforms or marketplaces work, where the, where the operator of the, the marketplace, uh, be it a, a box port or a box hub, actually takes ownership of the container. Um, we never do that. It's, uh, it's purely a B2B, a peer-to-peer um, transaction. One more question related to this. What is the trend that you see in terms of the, the rate, uh, the renting, leasing rate as against uh, people buying? Uh, the new or old uh, old containers is is the trend very similar? Yes. Yeah, so uh, in the past, we used to have daily rental fees for uh, let's say a, a twenty or forty foot uh, twenty foot container of I don't know between um, eighty cents a day and one dollar fifty a day, uh, somewhere around that. And now we really see uh, rental rates of two dollars fifty to five dollar uh, per day. Um, so really. Um, massively uh, increasing sometimes three, four times the original price. And that's the same that we see on the on the container trading market. Uh, Christian, tell us uh, about your customer mix on your platform. I believe it is, uh, I, I, can, I can clearly see there are three sets of people. One is a container leasing companies, uh, then you have the ocean liners, uh, and third one is the people who are actually uh, selling old or the new creators or the who have the old or new containers. And are, are there shippers really buying uh, directly from you as well or from the platform? A very good question. And uh, the answer is no, uh, we don't have the shippers uh, on the platform. But the fourth, a very important uh, customer group is uh, freight forwarders and NVOCCs um, who then act on behalf of their customers, the shippers, uh, to, to arrange uh, container uh, equipment, uh, to arrange uh, capacity um, for, for their shipments. Um, and those are actually volume-wise um, by now, this is actually the biggest customer group on exchange. 
No, but then there's always a confusion as to when you when you call shipper, even a freight forwarder is a shipper because he represents a shipper. So you have something called SOCs, uh, shipper on containers. Uh, so you don't have a shipper. When I say shipper, it could be a, a Mercedes Benz or a or a manufacturer, for example. So you don't have them on your on your platform. They don't they don't uh, business with you. Correct. And we also try to stay neutral or a little bit uh, distinct from from them um, because again we don't want to compete with our customers customer um, and uh, the customer t- the typical leasing customer by now on exchange is either the, the ocean shipping line like a yeah like a like a like a, like a deep sea carrier um or it's a it's an mvocc or freight forwarder um and very very rarely we get approached by the, sh- the actual shippers so yeah, mercedes-benz or an adidas or nike um, to actually rent containers that happens very very rarely and we try to stay away from that tell us about your also the coverage uh, how many ports uh, and what regions do you have uh, dominance or are they equally spread across the world when we originally started uh, we immediately started with about two and a half thousand locations uh, globally uh, again that was driven by the fact that we were spun off from a from a from, from a management consulting firm and our clients were typically the big ocean carriers and to cater to them we had to say we have global coverage uh, but the thing is on a marketplace you really need to build regional or local liquidity uh, in order to make the marketplace attractive for um, other partners who then join and do transactions and um, so what we've since joined since starting uh, exchange what we've really focused on where um, three main liquidity hotspots or liquidity areas. And this is um, intra-Europe. So everything in the Baltic uh, Sea, the North Sea, the Mediterranean Sea, there's quite a bit of traffic and, and quite some liquidity. The second hotspot is um, Middle East India uh, and Southeast Asia. So everything essentially around the Indian Ocean. And then the third uh, liquidity hotspot is really uh, everything in and out of China, um, both East and West bound. Uh, China, Europe, Europe, China, and then also, of course, the Trans-Pacific East-West trades. Tell us about the monthly transaction and what is the growth rate that you record month over month? We generally don't don't talk about uh, transaction volumes, um, so to speak, uh, but uh, on average, uh, we have a, a growth rate on the uh, transaction volumes uh, at the moment between uh, 10 and 20% month on month. What we really benefit from are the network effects on exchange. Um, so uh, the more customers uh, we, we add, and we add about, again, also uh, between 8 and 12% on month on month uh, in terms of customer numbers and customer volumes that really drives uh, transaction volumes because every additional um, member or participant on the marketplace on the network significantly increases the value um, and the transaction volume on the on the marketplace overall right now how many what is the total number of customers you have on the platform uh, about 700 Kristen, based on your historical data what is the potential annual saving for one of your customers if it's a shipping liner what would be the savings uh, for uh, for a customer? A few few uh, hundred millions? I wouldn't go that far. Uh, a couple of hundred millions, uh, at least US dollars. Uh, rupees, it might be different, but in US dollars, it's uh, that's a very very high estimate for a mid-sized um, container liner. We typically see that one transaction on exchange saves repositioning costs. So if we are now only thinking about repositioning costs again, um, of between 300 and 500 US dollars per box, right? So, and that's just that's just one move, let's say on average $400. If I then do, I don't know, uh, 10,000 containers um, on exchange, that gives me a saving of, I don't know, 4 million US dollars and that I just purely generate uh, from that. What you then have to add to that, of course, is um, the additional revenue generation opportunities 
um, from leasing in equipment uh, on exchange. And that really depends, uh, of course, on the, the freight rates, where at the moment, um, if the freight rates are, are so high, and I've seen rates of you know, $18,000, $20,000 uh, on some of the east-west trades, if I can get a container in that location at a reasonable price, let's say $1,000 for, for a pickup charge, um, immediately my, my revenue generation opportunity jumps significantly. Uh, but that, that's very, very difficult to say uh, on, a, on an overall sort of global Level per customer. On the trade imbalance, uh, because that's where you have a problem on the cargo side, there are certain trade lanes which have got a very huge imbalance uh, and uh, that actually affects also the optimization of the movement of the empty containers. Uh, even though you may have uh, you may have the best of the SaaS platform to look at that. Uh, so how do you actually mitigate those risks? You can't really address them uh, with the market rates, to be honest, uh, because you always have, if we take the example of China and, and Germany, you always have China exporting more uh, goods into, into, into Germany than the other way around. So you always have to move empty equipment uh, back. The only thing that you can then um, sort of look at and address is what other commodity groups or what other cargo types can I actually put into a container uh, in order to use that that empty capacity on the backhaul. And sometimes the, you know, the, the question is just, it's not how do we make a profit, but how do we reduce the cost? And so if I look at what our customers load into uh, the containers on the backhaul, for example, from Europe back to, back to China, uh, there's really everything in there from uh, plastic scrap through uh, whole entire logs. So they actually drive the container into the forest and, and pull out the pull out the logs and ship them to China for, for paper purposes, for example. In the end, I, I doubt that we'll ever be able to generate enough uh, container containerizable, containerizable uh, cargo, uh, so to speak, on the backhaul to really fill all of that equipment. Um, so you always need to move containers back empty. And then, of course, that's where other innovations um, come into play, like foldable containers uh, that can be a very interesting solution on some of the very imbalanced trades um, where you just don't have a choice but moving containers back empty. Okay, Christian, on to, on to the company. How many people, how many location, uh, your current investment uh, acquisition, you did a recent acquisition, and uh, what are your future plans to scale your business? So we, right now we're about 150, 160 people, um, most of them based in Hamburg, Germany. Those are not all Germans. So it's, a, it's a very international young team, but most of them are based based in Hamburg. And then we have a small um, yeah, customer ops office in Indonesia, uh, currently six people um, who uh, essentially support our customers in the Asian in the Asian time zones. You're right, we just recently um, acquired uh, 10containerfinder.com um, to essentially enlarge our scope uh, also into that into that 10 container market. Um, it was a great great opportunity for us and yeah, initial results of, of the integration of, of that marketplace into exchange are very, very promising. And I think we'll be able to, to generate a lot of value, not only for our existing customers um, to now also deal in tank containers, um, but also in, um, in, in attracting and, and, and helping out an entirely new segment of of the market. Um, going forward, uh, the idea is, uh, uh, or for exchange to scale, is is really twofold. We want to and we need to constantly improve our product, make transactions even easier, reduce friction in the in the in the in the, in the trans transportation and value chain, um, attach new products and features um, onto 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 exchange onto our SaaS platform that doesn't necessarily always have to be uh, sort of provided by us 
but it can really be also um, third party integrations that, that plug into Exchange and then provide their, their features or their products to our customers. Examples for that could be a, a truck booking on Exchange or a, a, a premium tracking service uh, provided by, by outside partners, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And then the other vector of growth is really um, yeah, uh, ramp, ramping up the, the customer acquisition. So bringing on new members onto the marketplace. As I said, uh, right now we grow the number of customers uh, between eight and 12% uh, month on month. And we just want to want to continue with that pace and, and, and invest heavily into uh, sales and marketing ultimately uh, to bring on uh, new customers and uh, in further increase liquidity on the marketplace. Are you adequately funded? Uh, are you looking for the next round of funding? We are VC funded uh, since we since we spun out of uh, out of uh, BCG. Um, BCG is still a, a minority shareholder, uh, adding a little bit of neutrality also to the to the cap table. But right now uh, we are very well funded. Uh, we're very happy with our existing existing cap table and uh, investor investor side. So we're not looking for any any new uh, new funds anytime soon. Kristen, thank you so much. Uh, it was a great pleasure talking to you. Likewise, thanks a lot for, for having me. It was a pleasure and uh, we'll do this anytime again. That was Kristen Roloffs, founder and CEO of Container Exchange. Join me next Thursday for a fresh and new episode of Logistic Tech Dialogues presented by Kale Logistics Solutions. Until next Thursday, take good care of yourself and be safe.